This is in my genetics. Rely on me, you never regret it. Uh, victory's mine, yeah, that's where I'm headed. For this passion and drive, I'm forever indebted. Known to motivate each person here. I'm sure it's my purpose to persevere. Yeah, you're looking at the chosen one. I said you're looking at the chosen one. Uh, I was made for this. You know that I was made for this. Again, rising with the hunger for another win. Been too strong for too long, I can't give in. That's the discipline of a champion. Overcome adversity and get it done. Alright, welcome guys. Um, my name is Mason. Uh, I'm joined today by Madison. Hey there. Um... This is the first episode of whatever you want to call it, because right now there is no name. Um, give you a little backstory of myself. I am 22, almost 23. I've almost been in the military for five years. Um, I'm getting out soon on a medical discharge. And a lot of things have happened in my short time in the military. That feels like an eternity, but stuff I want to like talk on, reach out to people, kind of give people an inside glance, uh, people hope if they need it, someone to talk to, a platform to stand on, I guess you could say. Um, but before we start, we're gonna let Madison tell everyone a little bit about herself. All right, uh, my name is Madison. Like you said, I am. 23 about to be 24 so uh just a year older than mason here uh, i'm currently in graduate school at the university of idaho getting my master's in athletic training um so i'm pretty full-time student and uh known mason for a really long time we've been best friends for in the double digit years but uh yeah, that's me. Hi, how are you? Well, everyone knows who you are. Knows we've been best friends since, you know, what was it? F <laughs> fourth time and, began. <laughs> fourth and fifth grade. Me and Madison known each other since before I was even in school. When she was in kindergarten, uh, she was in the same grade as my sister. But uh, obviously, I'm the cooler sibling, and Madison stuck to me i guess <laughs> i think we really became friends like actual friends and i think when i was in the fourth grade she was in the fifth we were in stone mountain georgia at a uh, american sings festival and yeah, i I'm just <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh you know awkward times but 
I had just uh, gotten a cell phone. She had just gotten a cell phone. My cell phone was basically the only people I could call was my parents and my sister and my grandma. And I could text friends on weekends and after 9 o'clock. So um, I played travel ball. So that was the sole purpose of me having one. I didn't really use it then, but we became friends by exchanging numbers on top of the mountain. Sweet story. Sweet story. Um, <laughs> today's topic is depression. Now, uh, Madison is not in the military, nor is she claiming to know anything about the military. She is doing this from a friend standpoint, kind of outside view, someone who's had um, a higher education than me. And she's going to throw points on to kind of open my eyes and see it from a different outsider standpoint than just someone who's disgruntled, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, any points you want to make before we start, Madison? Uh, nothing yet. We'll see what happens. No, <laughs> no words yet. Okay. Well... I think me and Madison at least can both agree on this. Um, depression, a, it's, a, it's a topic that everyone's going to talk about. Like everyone talks about depression. Uh, and I would say probably 75% of people in the world probably claim to have depression um, at least once. But there's no one cause for it. Um... Yes, you could have a chemical imbalance in your brain. Yes, things can just be going totally wrong in your life. But, particularly me at this moment, uh, I'm, I'm going to be talking about depression from a military mindset. The military mindset's different than your normal mindset. But, when most of your military member members have it, um, a lot of your, I'm not going to say people out in the civilian world, but uh, people that's been in the military a long time, they, honestly, it's kind of like the, a man not showing feelings, kind of like, it's kind of hard to talk about, because you're supposed to be this tough dude, and, you know, calling out for help. Uh, apparently lowers your masculinity. That is not the case. Anyone serving has uh, volunteered their life on the line and is guaranteed to serve their country from three to six years at a time. You're giving your life away to Uncle Sam three to six years at a time. Um... It's a huge adjustment just starting with signing that paper because I know for me, it it didn't hit me of how my life was going to be on a fucking roller coaster for the next five years until I had signed that paper, gave my family and friends a hug goodbye, and I was getting in that van for a 12-hour ride to boot camp. Um, when you first get there, 
like you're taking everything that you've known you're being told that basically how you've lived is wrong and then they're teaching you a whole new way to live down to folding your underwear shaving um they're telling you you sleep wrong telling you you stand wrong you walk wrong you breathe wrong you eat wrong and that alone i've seen puts a lot of mental stress on people like you could have the greatest like you could literally grow up from a great family uh have everything you ever wanted in life but you want to serve your country and then you get there and you're told however you're raised like it was just completely wrong so um i know the newer generation and the military community i guess per se you're being um there's a, a term called a snowflake and i'm not using that i'm not trying to use that word derogatory meaning or anything like that but that is and that is that is what they call this newer generation because it's not really a generation that grew up outside it, they grew up um, indoors playing video games and they don't really know all about all the outside life. Now there is like cases here and there where that's not particularly true for everyone and that's not. It's a stereotype. But that's what we're talking about today. Um, Madison? Uh, no words yet. Uh, whenever you say, whenever you say snowflake, it makes you think of like a really pasty person. Is that why they call them that? What do you mean pasty? Like a very... Like, very light colored person. No, no. A, like they're... never seen daylight. No, um, they're calling someone a snowflake. They're calling them, um... Like soft? Like a softy? A, yeah, soft, crybaby... Um, a rat. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, like I didn't. I didn't know exactly what. No, that, that, that meant the way y'all said it. Yeah. So that's that's or basically, like that's basically what um they're talking about. Um, I'm kind of rambling on right now, so I guess we could like bring in some of the um, reasons why. I know people have been depressed, I guess you could say, just jumping around. So, um, when it comes to some people's depression, it comes um, after deployments. Or, you know, you have your higher-ups saying... Like, after a deployment, like, oh, we're going home. And, like, they're saying, like, they care so much about your family. So, you're getting a break from working all the time. And you're getting, 12, like, anywhere from 10 to 11 and a half months, basically, to go home to your family every night. Now, for me, um, my first time after a deployment when they told me that, I had 11 months to spend with my wife. And 
those 11 months were harder than the actual deployments were because for seven of those 11 months, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't home with my wife. I was gone in different states and different areas working. And when I was home, I was working anywhere from 14 to 16 hours a day. So by the time I got home, as much as I wanted to spend time with her, I honestly wanted to shower, eat, and go to bed. So that, um, which Madison can tell you this, uh, that year, uh, I didn't go home and visit family a lot. I didn't have time. Um, I didn't really see my wife as much as I wanted to. And then, uh, I didn't see my parents very much that year. And I'm like, I'm, I'm very close with my parents. I'm very close with my family. So that was, uh, it was very hard for me because I love my wife more than anyone, anyone in the world, but not getting to coming home to expect to see her every day. Um, because you know, your, your higher ups are telling you that, you know, they care about your family and they care about you seeing them. And then it comes down to it and they're wanting to send you somewhere and you're arguing the fact that you, that all these people have been home seeing their family for this long. But since you're the go-to hard worker, um, they're sending you to all these places and you feel like you're getting punished because you're not going to see your family. Now... The work I did in those months, I loved. I was outside working with my hands, which is what I love to do. Uh, I gained some, I gained a lot of knowledge, and it matured me quite a bit. Um, but Madison, how did that make? How was it from y'all's standpoint? Because I know that year you. Uh, started driving down a lot to spend time with Jessica while I wasn't uh, while I wasn't home. So yeah, what were some of the conversations that y'all had and y'all's feelings about um, me not being there? So we just to say like I went from seeing Mason, talking to Mason all the time to almost every day. I, yeah, like almost every day to never really hearing from him because he would be at work all day. And then, like you said, when he got home, he would be ready to go to bed. And, you know, we, us, it's like friends, we would understand that. But then again, it was like, you know, dang, like, it's like I hadn't talked to Mason in years um, because we do play games together. And I haven't lived close to Mason and five years you know like you said so our way of staying in touch is through gaming and so we would always be on and be like do you think we can get mason on you know it was always like no he's going to bed you know he he worked all day today he's got to be up early back at it again tomorrow and um i started driving down to where he's stationed at least like once a month it felt like honestly but I would spend time with his wife. 
and it would always be like I knew she would be lonely and you know I I would miss them and so I would head down there and it was always the same conversation you know like when when is he gonna get a break when is he gonna be able to like stay home for a while and you could just see the the wear and tear it did on Mason and Jessica because you know it doesn't just affect him it affects everyone around him too that that you know he means a lot to um you know I feel like I missed out on a lot of times with him because he was being worked like a dog and you know of course his wife missed out on a lot of times with him so I would just felt the obligation to drive down and take her mind off of it and we would just sit and have a little brewskies and talk but it was really hard from a friend's point of view it was really hard to see him go through that like I know like it is what it is but it was it was a hard thing to watch on every aspect as far as him going through it and Jessica having to go through it I mean it was just tough now um during that time um and I, I, this is not going to be one of those things where I'm, I'm, I'm going to name names. But um, me and Jessica were trying to, at the same time, find somewhere to live that felt like home. Because our first apartment we got, uh, after we got married, um, I was still in my schooling. And I would made some really good friends while I was there. And me and Jessica had never seen it. So after we got married and we had a weekend where she came down, um, we went and visited this apartment. We fell in love with it. And we had so many people that came and helped us move in. Move in. And we loved it. Like it was somewhere that was cozy. It felt like home. It wasn't too big, but it wasn't too small. It was perfect for us and our one dog. And we had to move because of um, neighbors who were uh, smoking weed and it was coming through our air vents. And me being in the military, like I didn't even want to take the chance of it getting into my system and having to take a drug test and fail it and ruin my career. I'm like, I didn't even want to take the chance. So the friends that I had, um, I asked if they would, like, you know, help us move on to the base. And they basically told me to fuck off. So me, one of the guys that... Um, I will forever consider a brother. He wasn't a military, but he worked with my wife at the, um, the surf shop down here. He helped me and then my wife and my sister came down with one of her friends and we basically packed up our apartment overnight and moved to a house on base and were dog tired because of my like even though me and my wife went out of our way to help our friends uh move they didn't care enough 
for as serious as it was to help us. So when we moved there, um, living on base, like it was nice. We made a lot of friends on base, but that was more the times that I was just always gone. So like I wasn't really getting any time with anyone. And I think there was, I want to say there was one time that entire year and Madison did, like, like she said, she came down every month if not every other week. Um, Honestly. <laughs> there was one time that she came down where I remember actually getting to spend time with her. And the only thing me and, like we did was, we I think we played some video games, but most of it was talking and showing, like, like me wanting to actually show her around. And then one of my favorite memories of her coming down here during that time period was just me, her, and my wife just going to the basketball court down the street and just shooting basketball, just enjoying life. And I will never forget, like, even though like, I was exhausted from working, and I actually had, like, two days off in a row on a weekend, like, all I wanted to do was relax. And I don't remember how it got started. Um... I don't even remember where we got the basketball. But uh, we walked down the street. I don't remember if we had one or two basketballs. I think we had two, honestly. Yeah, I think we did two. Oh, no, we had, we, you had one in your car. and then Yeah, baller, always yeah, ready. You had one in your car. <laughs> and the other one uh, was there at the court when we got there. And... Um, just sitting out there for a couple hours, even after dark, you can't even see the goal. Just shooting basketball, which is something me and Madison did before I left for the Navy when I was still in, well, when we were still in high school. We'd go to the park and just shoot basketball. Um, that was, like, pure enjoyment. And then uh, I got sent to another area to work. And I'm not going to give any details on it, but I uh, I got hurt really bad. Like, to the point to where I, I, I couldn't walk. And um, while I was gone doing that, Madison uh, came down and helped my wife again moved to another house because we were having more issues with the house and with the neighbors and um so Madison drove down and helped her with that and I, I will never be able to to repay uh my friends for what they've done for my family like ever never be able to repay them but uh while I was gone they helped her with that and I came back hurt. And, like, Madison, she at the time, like, she wasn't there anymore. But when I was, um, I was told by the medical personnel that I was lying about being injured. And 
they're telling me that I was just a pill addict and I just wanted pain pills. And that was one of the worst feelings in the world. To where, like, I'm awake all night crying in pain. And you're just going to tell me that I'm lying to you and I just want pain pills, which wasn't the case. I just wanted to be treated. And Madison can attest to this. Uh, I hate even taking Tylenol. Yeah, he's stubborn. Like, <laughs> I could have the worst headache in the world, but I won't take Tylenol. I hate going to the doctor. But I was going in consistently because I was hurting so bad. And I wasn't telling the doctors all my symptoms because it felt um, demasculating. One of my symptoms was I was crapping my pants uncontrollably. And... You say what you want. It's very serious. I didn't realize it was actually that serious. Um, I honestly just thought that it was my IBS. But I would take a step like this, like a wrong way. And I would realize that I defecated all over myself. So, uh, big words, right, Madison? I was about to say, whoa. <laughs> uh so it is what it is. It took it literally, like I never even told them. It took me walking in there, and then finally, I, after about two months of them saying, "Okay, we'll give you an X-ray," and the guy, and this whole time, like I'm still working, like they're not like limiting my work. Like I'm still working as hard as I ever was, and um. Uh, it took them putting me on an x-ray table and them having me bend a certain way to crap my pants for them to take me serious. But, to be completely honest, like, the military doesn't care. Like, um, that alone should have been enough to keep me home. And, um... Around that time, my wife found out she was pregnant. Which you have no idea how ecstatic that made me. And they told me that I wouldn't be deploying because of it. So, I remember uh, me and her, we were just, you know, sitting there at the house. And... I want to say me and Madison and our friend Matt were playing games. Which I think we were. And my phone went off. And uh, the bag turn in for deployment was the next morning. And here it is, you know, like 9, 10 o'clock at night. And I think you had to be there to turn your bags in around like 5 or 6 that morning. And... My phone went off. I answered it because it was a number just from that area. I didn't have it saved in my phone. And it was my doctor telling me that he had got a hold of my surgeon. And my surgeon was, uh, he was a military doctor. 
and he was transferring and basically said that since he was transferring there's nothing he could do for me and he cleared me for deployment so after all those months working finally gonna get a break just to sit home during deployment and then you know worry about fixing my back they send me on deployment anyway with basically a 36 hour notice when I couldn't walk half the time and actually I do remember because I was playing with Madison and Matt because when I got the phone call I turned my PS4 off completely and didn't tell them anything what had happened and I sat there in tears talking to my wife because here we are, I had been told for two months that I wasn't going, that I was injured and couldn't go. And I don't remember who told Matt or Madison, but I do remember having conversations with them to where when I was packing, I was just talking to them and crying. And I was calling my parents and talking to them and telling them. Because here I was in the middle of me being gone for this deployment. Like, for one, I couldn't do anything because how injured I was. But for two, my daughter was going to be born. So, like, I really don't know how I felt at that time. Um, how did that make y'all feel, Madison? I mean, it was it was heartbreaking for us because we were even told, you know, I remember you calling me and being like, "Hey, they're they're telling me that I don't have to go on deployment because of my medical problems." And, you know, me, I remember Matt being like, phew, you know, because that's the last thing he needs to deal with is being, you know, God knows where with, you know, not the best medical personnel. By and, any means. Yeah, like we, we knew that he wouldn't get the treatment that he needed being, you know, wherever he ended up being deployed to. So we were like, you know, I was ecstatic that he wasn't going to have to go. And then... We get the phone call. It was actually his wife that told us. And I just remember being quiet. Like, as soon as she said it, I was just like, I was in shock. I was pissed off. I was like, why? Like, why? Like, why? How could they, like, let that happen? And then all I could think about was, like, just Mason. You know, what is he feeling? What is he going through? I couldn't imagine. Um, it took a toll on a lot of us but especially him and just having to see him break down like that it was one of the worst things but yeah bringing back a lot of feels right now I know right <laughs> um, I guess even to that point I still don't think I realized that it, um, I was depressed. Um, when I got to where I where I was going, I started physical therapy out there, and the physical therapy I was doing was not the right kind for my injury at all and it actually made it a lot worse than what 
my injury actually was. Um, but going through an injury like I have and not really being able to do a lot about it, it can demasculate you. Um, the only thing that really helped me was having my family and my friends and then my military family. Um, they understood what I was going through. They understood that I didn't feel right. That I didn't feel good. Now, it's not something that I talked about then. Hell, it's not something I talk about now. I, I am, I'm very cautious and timid still um, talking about my feelings. And I started talking to my genetic man while I was out there. And being like, look, I'm really not working as it is now. Like, I'm basically not working. So, if I pay for it, can I go home and see my daughter be born? And, you know, the whole time I was getting yes, yes, yes. Well, when it came time to put the paperwork in and buy my plane tickets, I went ahead and bought my plane tickets because I'd already got yeses. Well, there was one particular person. Um, they kept saying no. So I kept, um, every time I bought a plane ticket, I did, I did the, the insurance on it in case something happened. And I kept having to buy more plane tickets to where eventually I was literally going to get a loan to buy a ticket to see my daughter be born. And I, I've seen firsthand the dads who see their childs born through FaceTime. And that's just not something that I ever honestly want to do. I don't want to, you know, have to go through that experience just sitting on FaceTime, not being able to help. And I eventually got a yes to go. Um, but I was taking a flight that you... You don't, it's free for military, but it goes off of a priority. So if someone was a higher priority than me, uh, I wouldn't be on that flight. So like, basically, you're sitting there waiting in the terminal for your ticket number to be called. And if it's called, you get on the flight. And... I'd been in there for six hours, just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting, and I was the second to last person to be called to get on that flight. And that was the worst time flying I've ever had in my life. Um, I <laughs> I remember I was sitting, in, we were sitting towards the back of the plane, and it was packed, but there were so many babies on that plane and they were just all crying. <laughs> I, I will never forget that. And I finally, I, I brought melatonin with me and I fell asleep. And we were literally in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And 
we had a storm and I woke up to uh, the plane hitting the storm and the lights on the plane were flickering the um, oxygen mask deployed and the plane was shaking hard now I don't know why I did this because no one would ever got it but I, I wrote a memoir on my notepad on my phone basically addressing my wife and my daughter telling them what had happened what I was feeling how scared I was and I didn't even realize until I finished it that we had passed this storm by like 30 minutes so say what you want but I was like deeply focused um I got there um how many hours later <laughs> so my first flight was eight hours and then i um after waiting for about eight hours to take off so about 16 hours from when i actually left i was finally in america and then i had to take a flight from which i didn't realize this i bought a plane ticket as the plane landed to get me back home um, it didn't click for me that we landed on a military base. So, I'm in this tiny terminal. Like, super Walmarts are bigger than the main building to this airport. Hell, neighborhood Walmarts are bigger. <laughs> and it's about this, it's like, a, it's like basically a, um, a two-story Dollar General is basically what it was. And I'm walking around, like, looking for where I'm supposed to check in at. So, finally, I find someone who works there. I'm, like, asking them, like, hey, where do I go? And um, they're, like, you're at the wrong airport. Like, you have to go across this city. And I'm, like, are you, are you, are you shitting me? And they're, like, no. And they're, like, you, you want us to call you a taxi? And I was, like, yeah, call me a taxi. So... The taxi came and picked me up, which I will never get in a taxi like that again. I'd rather it cost, it cost me sixty eight dollars to get across this city. It, it was a twenty twenty minute ride or something like that, sixty something dollars. And I pulled up, I walk inside. My plane my plane had uh, thirty eight minutes until it was leaving leaving the ground. So they're like getting ready for final call. Well, I get there, and I check in. I'm basically um, running as fast as I could, trying to find where I'm supposed to go. I get there at um, the last call to board, sit down on the plane, while I fly, to, I fly to the layover, and I'm sitting there waiting. And my layover there was like four hours. And... Me and my wife at the time, um, my wife at the time, at the time, me and my <laughs> wife were like arguing because her being as pregnant as she was, I didn't want her driving to come pick me up at the airport. And I wanted, I was like, I can get my parents to come pick me up. They can bring me straight to you. It's not a big deal. Well, um, she refused. 
And my parents picked her up anyway. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> so I got to where I was going, and I literally, um, I walked right past them and didn't even, didn't even realize it. And I called them. I was like, where are y'all at? And they're like, oh, we're sitting outside, like, this restaurant. And I just walked past that restaurant. And they're like, where are you at? And I was like, I'm at Baggage Claim. And they're like, really? And I was like, yeah. So, I bawled my eyes out when I saw my wife. Because last time I saw her, she wasn't really showing. And then I saw her this time. And, you know, we were days from having a baby. And, um... I was only home for a week, and I don't, I really, I remember getting in the car with them driving back, I really don't remember what we did, I don't remember seeing, I don't really remember seeing Madison or Matt, or really even my parents really while I was there, like I was just spending time with my wife, and then we got up at 2.30 one morning to go get uh, induced, my wife was in labor for so 17 or 18 hours and uh, Madison and Matt and uh, Hunter they were there the entire time I think they rough. <laughs> I think I think they only left the hospital uh, to sleep for like two or three hours that night and to uh, get us food. <laughs> yup. <laughs> we about ready to kill each other. <laughs> yeah. Imagine um, a new dad. So, when you're having your first kick in the world, like, you're stressed. And you're thinking about a lot. And... They helped tremendously with us. They were very good to talk to. Very good stress relievers. Um, the night my... Well, that night my daughter was born. Uh, we were in the hospital. We were... I think we said in the hospital for three days. And yeah. I... Uh, I had never, I, I didn't really sleep the entire time I was there, but like two or three hours at a time. That not that last night, that third day we got out, I remember we went back to her mom's house, and me and Jessica crawled up in the bed and had our daughter uh, between us in this little thingy-mabobber, and we were watching TV. And... That was a great memory. Um, I don't remember. I I actually don't remember telling y'all bye, Madison. We ended up just leaving because, like, as soon as she had her, uh, we came. We were the last ones to come see her because you know we wanted y'all's family to go in first. So we waited about. I think it was like an hour and a half, two hours after she was born to go back there and see her. And I just remember walking in and seeing Jessica, and I was like, oh, honey. Yeah. 
and then I remember seeing you, and you were you looked just as out of it as she was, and we stayed in the room maybe 15, 20 minutes, and then we were like, all right, we're gonna, we us three came back to my house. Um, like he said, we slept two three hours. Y'all came right we back. Back up in there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I don't remember telling y'all by though, like when I left to go back on deployment. I honestly don't remember either. Um, it was probably a super quick, like, hi and bye, honestly. Because yeah. I know, like, you just wanted to spend time with them. And we knew so, that. So. so I had to buy my tickets about two hours before my daughter was born because I'd forgotten that I'd never bought my plane tickets to go back. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole uh, flying back process because... There is way too much that happened on that flight back that I really just don't want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, just don't carry vape juice through Amsterdam. <laughs> and don't take uh, Indian flights. I took the cheap route. Horrible idea. So, I got back. And... My, uh, my mental state was shot. Uh, that is when I realized that I was depressed. Um, I didn't do anything. The time difference, I really didn't, um, I didn't get to talk to my wife as much as I would like. Didn't get to face my daughter as much as I would have liked to have. Um, that is when the, um, suicidal thoughts went through my head. And it honestly probably would have been um, very easy to do at the time. Because I wasn't really telling anyone what was going on with me. Um, and this is no offense to anyone, but at the same time, like, no one was really... Um, no one expected it, so, like, I wasn't, no one was, like, really checking on me, like, like, uh, you really say, like, you, you need them to, basically. So, uh, I'll never forget, I stayed up one night, it was one of the, it was probably like a month after I got, got back. And my wife had sent me a a picture of my daughter. And she had just grown so much. And something that could really, should make you happy. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I wanted to end it all right there. So, I went and talked to our chaplain. 
to, I guess, try to get help. And for him, he's 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 a, he's a great man. Um, but I guess he really didn't understand what I was going through. So he was just trying to tell me to sleep more. And, um, I don't know. I think the only thing that did stop me was getting the constant pictures and videos of seeing my daughter and seeing her grow. So when it came time for me to come home, um, Madison and Matt were there. They um, helped my wife and my daughter drive back down to where we lived. And um, Madison actually recorded a YouTube video that has like 40-something thousand views <laughs> of the whole um, homecoming process. And... You would think that, you know, me coming home and being with my wife and my daughter and seeing my friends would have helped things. And they were good for, like, you know, the first day. But uh, Madison and Matt actually left the day I got there a couple hours later. And, um... I was jealous of my wife because her and my daughter had this bond and I had no clue what the hell I was doing with her. And um, I've never said this out loud before, but um, even though it's not her fault, I kind of resented her for it. But at the same time, like, my mind didn't really want me putting in the effort to get to get to know and try to get that bond myself. Um, and I know I made it hard for my wife. I, I made it very hard. And she's a very strong woman. But uh, I don't know if this was noticeable by everyone else. I know from at least her mom it was. Because her mom, uh, her mom noticed it and brought it up to her. And Jessica would never really answer it. But her mom would be like, hey, does he, like, he doesn't have a bond with her. Um, that time, I will honestly say, was the hardest, um, time of my life. I couldn't tell you eventually how many times I had um, called Madison and Matt trying to um, stop me 
from ending my life. I will never be able to um, repay y'all for that. But um, no, dude. That's what really like what was going through y'all's heads? Um, well, well, during, I can, I during can that speak time. Through, yeah, I can I can speak from from my point of view. Uh, after after Mason's daughter was born, um. When he went back to where he was deployed to, you could just see a difference in Mason. Like, this kid used to send me the dumbest Snapchats ever. And then it went down to, you know, I wouldn't even get a picture of his face. Uh, I would barely get a reply back. Um, and like we all knew, like something was going on it's just like what like what do you say you know like what's the right thing to say to somebody when I have no idea what he's going through like I know but I don't know and I just remember opening up a snapchat from him one day and I didn't even recognize who it was like it wasn't the mason that I grew up with that I've been best friends with for all these years. And then that's when I really got concerned. And I called Matt and uh, we talked for a long time. And I mean, I mean, this is a guy who by the, you know, by the slightest chance got to come home and see his daughter be born. And a week later he's leaving. And he missed the first three months of her life. So, I mean, yeah, of course, you know. But, like, what do you say to somebody that's going through that? And I could tell when he got home, like, we were there. Me and Matt were there for the homecoming and everything. But the reason we left so soon was because we wanted him to have time with his daughter and his wife. Because, like, I mean, yeah, we're important, but, like, they're the most important. And so I just remember, like, just like he said, like, it was great for the few hours, but then, like, there was a difference when me and Matt left. Like, you could tell, like, he was coming to terms with everything that was going on. And it was all new, and it was all scary. And and then when, when he started, like, say, a month later is when we started getting the phone calls. And just to know, like, Mason, one thing he hasn't said, he is the goofiest person. And he's the first person to put a smile on your face. Like, he's basically been a brother to me, and I know I could call him with anything. And just to, to see someone that has a nature like that just completely make a 180, it's it's different and it, it's a it's a feeling that I'll never forget you know like this isn't him what can I do what what can we do you know we were in full like we need to fix him mode but 
it's a scary thing. At the same time, when even though like I was calling y'all and wanting help, at the same time when y'all would try to help, I was still trying to push y'all away. Yeah. Um. I just oh. remember you like I would try and help you, and then you would just get like kind of fed up. I would get irritated. Because yeah, he, would, he would get irritated and just hang up. Because like. I um I never I, I never said out loud to anyone but the chaplain that I was depressed and uh thinking of suicide and even though I I've known people who have done it I went through a specialized training course for personal reasons before any of this to be able to assist someone a uh, a whole lot better in those types of situations. But when it was going on, like, um, They, they, they were basically just trying to make me laugh. And it pissed me off. And I'm not going to lie and tell you that it pissed me off. I, 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 I didn't want to laugh. Hell, to be completely honest, I didn't want to breathe. I didn't want to be there. I got tired of, you know feeling like a piece of shit because you know I'd been living with my daughter for like a month or two and I still was scared by her I didn't want to be left alone because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing I, I didn't have that bond I didn't know how to interact and I know like I remember me and my wife we would argue because like she'd be like I'll talk to her and I'm just like oh what are you doing and I'd have no clue what to say, so I would say like one or two sentences and then I'd just stop and fake a smile. But I was really just ashamed of myself on the inside. Um, I think about when my daughter, I lived with my daughter for about four months. That's when I actually um, started feeling that emotional bond. And I'm not really sure like how I even knew I had it or how I know how I know now I had it, but um, at that point, Everything had taken so much toll on me. Like, you can ask Madison. Like, I'm not the same person I was. I'm not going to say I'm worse for it. But I'm also not going to say I'm better for it. Um. It made me, um, very grumpy. Because I put all my blame back on the military 
and those doctors for just not paying attention. And I have my good days, I have my bad days, just like everyone does. But, uh, I don't know. I don't think it's really, that's not really something that you, you can ever stop. You can be the happiest, you can seem like the happiest person in the world, but, um, you could still, you know, be there. Any given time. It's not really. It's not something you can control. It comes and goes. And that's with anyone. That's out of the military. In the military. It comes and goes. You have your good days. You have your bad days. I know Madison can tell you the same thing. Shoot ya. Um. I think basically what I'm just trying to say is just, you know, check up on the ones you love and the ones that, you know, you surround yourself with. Because you never know what the next person's going through. Um, if my wife you end up listening to this, I just want you to know I, I love you, and I'm sorry for all of that. My family and my friends are the um, the greatest things that have ever, ever happened to me, so um, I love you. Madison, I love you. Don't you get me in my feels over here. Matt, I want you to know I love you, my family. Um, I love y'all. Um, I know this episode was a lot of me rambling on. A little bit of conversation. But... Um, I just got a name. You just got a name? Yeah. To what to call this. What are you thinking? Mmm, talks. <laughs> like MM talks. Mmm. <laughs> mmm, talks. Mmm, I like it. I do too. Um... Before we cut, or whatever you're thinking, I just want to say, uh, from the friend point of view, from the friendly side of it, if you feel like someone you know, someone you love, can be experiencing depression, it's okay to not know exactly what to say, because that was that was my standpoint. I, I'm the best listener, 
ever, but like I suck at giving advice. Yeah, best listener like... sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, you know, I get distracted easy, but um, I yeah, I'm trash at giving advice. But honestly, like I knew Mason just he just needed someone to listen. So the best thing that you can do if you're listening to this and if you know someone or maybe you yourself have depression or have gone through depression, just be a listener because nine times out of 10, that person might need somebody to just listen to them. You know, you don't have to have the textbook answer for them. They just need you. Find what helps you escape your thoughts. For me, I have multiple ways. If I really want if I really want to escape my thoughts, I play games. Um if I just want to relax and escape my thoughts, I go fishing. I hop in my truck and I ride around and look at landscapes. Um I take I I, I literally will take days to just lay in bed and relax and, you know, turn on Netflix and Binge watch Grey's Anatomy or All American. Like, Heck yeah, brother. There's. It's really all about self care. Like, do what you got to do for yourself. Don't. Don't over exhaust from working. Make time for yourself along with everyone else. Mm. I know these past five years. I've missed out on a lot of things I'll never get back. But at the same time, I've made more memories than I can ever recollect. What's with you in this vocabulary, son? You hit me with all these big words. I'm going to pull out my dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, if anyone ever listens to this, just know you can always come to me and talk if you need to. And uh, me as well. Another great resource is um, the Suicide Hotline. They have a website. You can text them or you can call 1-800-273-8255. If you're a veteran and you're having the issues, there's also some great organizations you can call besides the suicide hotline. You can use um, Military One Source. They can uh, hook you up with counselors 24 hours a day. Um, There's... Uh, 22 kill and their main priority is to stop veteran suicide but don't be don't be afraid to talk because that was my biggest issue I was scared to let people in my head and let people know the ones I loved of what was going on around me So, um, that is it for this episode of Mmm Talks.
<laughs> That's the name of this, Madison. I like it. I dig it. I dig it, too. A little um, But I thank you all if you've made it this far. A hundred, well, an hour and seven minutes in. I thank you. You're a G. For, uh, for sticking and listening to us rant and ramble and i love you i love you i love you guys um Mm. (laughs) (laughs) okay i'm done i'm done (laughs) um but yeah there will be um more episodes to come uh vast vast topics and i hope you have a great one ditto Ditto. Okay, well, I've had all these, like, you know, great vocabulary words, and then here you use Look, a text I ain't language. never gonna change, man. I ain't never gonna change. Well, <laughs> find you someone like my friends. 